Well, good morning, church. How we doing this morning? Are we glad to be alive? Everybody had a good Christmas? Who knew that your last Christmas gift would be a cho- your chocolate brother from another mother this morning? Glad to be with you. For those of you who have not sat under my preaching, I do want to do my normal uh, housekeeping. Uh, it is okay to talk back to me when I preach. If you feel something in, in your chest, that is not a cold. That is an amen. And get it out so they don't have to carry you out. So you can stand up and say that's for me if you, if you need to. I do want to haste to go on record to uh, give appreciation to our senior pastor for this privilege and opportunity to stand behind this pulpit and to deliver God's word. It is a joy for me to do so. Amen. Bethel, we started our Christmas season off on a mission. You say, Pastor, what mission? We had a mission, a goal, an objective, if you will, set by our senior pastor to search, to find, to discover, to look for Christ this Christmas. We wanted to find Christ in the Christmas story. It was like this Where's Waldo kind of adventure. An adventure it was. Do you remember where we found him first? We discovered first that the infant was first infinite, that the infant was first infinite, that he was pre-existent. And before Christmas was, he was with God in eternity. Not in heaven, as I corrected my campus. Uh, Heaven is created. He he preexisted before heaven. John puts it this way. In the beginning was the word. In in the beginning was the word. In the word is the word. And the word always will be the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. But then after that, we found him where? In the womb. Of who? Mary. Do you remember, church? Where you're amazed that the maker was in the making in the womb of Mary. And then after that, we found Jesus where? In the manger. That's correct, class. You've been reading your Bibles. The infinite had now become an infant, and we discovered that that infant will grow up. Yes, he would. He would grow up, become an adult. He would, as an adult, give sight to the blind, unstop deaf ears, turn water into wine. Amen, hallelujah, somebody. Just keep looking at me. Walk on water, bring justice, love the unlovable. And on the eve, we witness that love reached its apex as we find him on the cross dying for our sins. The infinite became an infant because God so loved the world. And now, it's December 26th the day after Christmas, and our adventure is ending. And so the question remains, class, where do we find Jesus now? 
Where do we find him after Christmas? I mean, this might be the most important find of all. I mean, where is he? It's December 26th, and the separation anxiety has already started for most of us. We love Christmas. We look forward to Christmas. We plan for Christmas. It's the only time, let's be honest, I know that we're church folks, but it's the only time our children can wake us up early in the morning with a loud announcement, Christmas is here and it doesn't make our blood boil. I know some of you are more sanctified than that. (laughs) And just as fast as it came, it is now behind us. And for some of us, the end of Christmas marks the beginning of our separation anxiety with the holidays. The Christmas meal has been eaten. The gifts have been unwrapped. Family members who came in town are on their flight home even as I preach. Amazon and FedEx have slowed down because your shopping is done, and let's just be honest, all of your money is spent. And all the unwanted gifts, and we all know we had some unwanted gifts, you got are going into storage to be re-gift for next year. Just keep looking at me. No one has to know. And for some of us, the tree will come down after church today. For some of us, the reefs will come down after church today. For some of us, the lights will come down after church today. Many things will come down after church today. But as you are taking things down, I want to remind you today of the one who will remain up. I want to remind you of the one who will never be taken down. I want to remind you today, you can give God glory this morning. I want to remind you today that the tree and the lights may come down, but Jesus as always will remain high and lifted up, church. Oh, I'll say it again. You should have shouted much louder than that. There's one who will not be taken down today, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ who will remain high and lifted up, church. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm excited to preach this last find this morning. I want to preach from this thought. The infinite who, be, the infinite who became an infant is now triumphant. Oh, yeah, I'm a poet, and y'all didn't know it. Let me run it back. The infant who became an infant is now triumphant. Where is Jesus in the Christmas story today? I want you to buckle in because you are about to find out. Okay, if you're like me, when it comes to finding stuff, I don't like a hard time. Life is already hard enough, all right? There's already enough difficult things in life. But when I'm finding stuff, I love, I love, I love when someone gives me a clue. Where's Waldo? Give me a clue. In the escape room. Anybody ever been in the escape room? I'm so glad that they have clues in there because if they didn't have a clue in there, I wouldn't have a clue how to get out of there. Give me a clue. 
If we are going to find Christ this Sunday, we're going to need a clue. Our clue is found in Matthew, the 20th chapter. This is not our text for this morning, but our clue is found in Matthew, the 20th chapter. Here's how it reads. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for who, church? For many. Jesus, in this verse, in this chapter, in this verse, changes the game, if you will. He flips the script, if you will. He says, in God's kingdom, the way up is down. The elevators in heaven, if you want to go up, you push the down button. Jesus said, whoever will be first must be last. That's your clue, church. And Jesus makes this comment because of what is requested of him. And I love the way that Brian Loritz sums it up because this is actually a funny chapter depending on how you read your Bible. When I read my Bible, I like to hop inside the Bible and live in the Bible and swim in the Bible. And then I like to have my own exegetical imagination as I'm living in the Bible. It's a funny story because this mother, and you know how mothers are, let's be honest, all mothers want their children to be great. All mothers want their children to be successful. And so there's a mother in the story and she comes to Jesus kind of on the sly like, hey, yo, Jesus, making sure nobody's looking around. Hey, uh, my, my boys, I, 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 uh, I, have, I have a request uh, for you. I know that you have all these other disciples, but they're not as great as my boys. And see, and see, Jesus, I know that you're going to need someone to help you in the kingdom. And what you're going to need is that you're going to need my boys on your right and on your left. Here's how Brian Loritz sums it up. Our story opens with a woman named Salome, who is the mother of James and John, a.k.a. the sons of Zebedee, and also the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary coming Mary coming up to Jesus with an urgent request. We know that it's urgent because the text tells us that she came to Jesus kneeling. Whenever you come to someone kneeling, you know that it's urgent. The word for kneeling means to worship. So she comes to Jesus in the right way, but asking the wrong thing. She wants her boys to be given the seat of prominence in the kingdom. No doubt because she is Jesus' aunt. You know how family members are. They're always trying to pull something. Here it is. She's trying to leverage her familiar relationship to curry favor with Jesus. And Jesus tells her, no, so much for the family relationship. If your sons want status in my kingdom to come, they will have to be Servants, They would have to become last. This is why many people in the Bible days had a hard time finding Jesus. They were trying to find Jesus through the lens of the world. And they missed him. Church, you don't want to miss Jesus, and you'll miss Jesus this morning. You will not find him. You will not discover him. You will not worship him. If you do, if you continue to look at Jesus, to look at the kingdom of God through the lens of the world, you need a brand new prescription when, when, when you're looking at the kingdom of God. If not, it will be right before you. The preacher will be preaching as well as he can. The, 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 the 
teacher will teach as well as he can. He will proclaim as well as he can. And you'll miss the whole thing if you use the same lens that the world uses to find God. We will miss Jesus the day after Christmas. And we view the kingdom of God like the world. If we're going to find Christ, we got to think like Christ. Jesus says, if you want to find me, look down first. Look down first. This brings me to my first point, the king's degradation. One of the hardest things in life, let's be honest, is to downgrade. It is. It is. I know you're in church, but it's hard to downgrade. Degradation is never the goal in this world. We live in a culture obsessed with worldly status and fame. I'm sure I hope every Christmas is to be upgraded. I learned this from my seven, soon to be 17 year old daughter. Uh, she wanted an iPhone 13 for Christmas. And I told her that I'm getting you a flip phone. <laughs> you would have thought I lost my salvation the way that she looked at me as if God couldn't be in me to say something like that. She almost left planet Earth, y'all. But in 1976, a survey was done which asked people to list their life goals. Fame ranked 15 out of 16. But by the early 2000s, 51% of young people said fame was one of their top goals. In 2007, Middle school girls were asked who they would most like to have dinner with. In first place, worked, uh, 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 ranked Jennifer Lopez, and then Jesus Christ. Ain't that something, church? And then Paris Hilton was third. Then these girls were asked what their dream job was. Nearly twice as many said being a celebrity assistant more than being the president of Harvard. David Brooks concludes, as I looked around the popular culture, I kept finding the same message everywhere. You're special. Trust yourself. Be true to yourself. Movies from Pixar and Disney are constantly telling children how wonderful they are. Commencement speeches are larded with the same cliches. Follow your passions. Don't accept limits. Chart your own course. You have a responsibility to do great things because you are great. This is the gospel of self-trust, according to David Brooks in his writing on the road to character. Even our commercials on, on YouTube and the Gram and Facebook have changed from what is wrong with us to what is strong with us. We hate the thought of losing status or downgrading or looking weak as human beings if we lay down our masks and take a chair at the same table this morning. If we can be honest, we hate to downgrade. We hate to look weak. We want to look strong. We want to look accomplished. We want to look successful. How about the musical Hamilton? Brian Lawrence points this out. Here's a guy who was one of the founding fathers, served in the Revolutionary War, became the architect of our financial system, served as our first secretary of treasury. Hamilton also was a prolific writer, writing over 50 of the Federalist pa papers. Where did, he, where did his derive come from? His biography said it came from the shame of his past how he hated his immigrant status. So Hamilton decided to forge a new identity 
based on achievement. Hamilton wanted up, not down. Hamilton wanted up, not down. I'm going to say it one more time. Hamilton wanted up, not down. Can you resonate with him this morning? I mean, this life is about moving up, not down. But Paul tells us in our text this morning that Jesus, unlike us, unlike the world, he downgraded himself. He downgraded himself. The text reads like this, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. Now, if you just read that at face value, it doesn't move the soul as much as it should. It doesn't make you shout. But if you do your homework, like I did my homework on this text, it makes you want to toss your laptop and say, what a wonderful Savior that he is. I'm so glad that I did my homework. If you don't mind, I'd like to share it with you now. Paul paints for us in this text a sort of anamorphic art, which is a kind of art where there is an image you immediately see, but then there is another image below the surface of the painting which could only be seen when you look usually from a different angle with a lot more concentration. Like on Facebook or the gram, it's like, it's like there's a dog in the picture. Can you find it? And I'm like, no, all I see is clouds and grass. No, 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 look, look harder. And after a while, you see the second image if you look hard enough. Paul doesn't just want us to see Jesus the God, but in this text, Paul wants us to see Jesus from a different angle. He wants us to see Jesus the man in this text. He wants us to grab the fullness of Christ. He wants us to take grips of the wholeness of Christ through his degradation. So he focuses on three different angles to do so. First, his voluntary demotion. Because what really gets me about this verse is that Jesus was demoted not because he was doing a bad job with running the universe. He didn't get demoted from God to man because he was found incompetent or sinful. No, this happened because he volunteered. He raised his hand. He stood on his own two feet and lowered himself. Jesus voluntarily laid aside some of his divine prerogative when he came into the world, like his omnipresence or his omnipotence or his omniscience. The creator was dependent upon the creature for sustenance. But this gets deeper, church. If that didn't rock you, as you consider another angle, Paul says, if you still can't see Jesus, the man, let me hit you with another angle. I love what Paul is doing. Not only did he downgrade from being the CEO of the company, but he took the lowest position in the company. Can you imagine the CEO of a company demoting himself and allowing those who, who he made successful and provide for greater than him by becoming their servant? For all appearances, Jesus would have passed for a slave according to Isaiah 5.3. I mean, 
We discovered this Christmas at my campus that Jesus was born to a poor virgin girl in a poor house in a poor neighborhood. God decided for Jesus to be born to people who would have lived in Gary, Indiana of the day. The city where most people don't even want to go. I need you all to feel what Jesus did for us, what he gave up. He left heaven and moved to Gary, Indiana. Do you know how many people are willing to move to Gary, Indiana? Not many people. People are shocked when I told them, my wife and I are moving to Gary and we are building a house. You know how many, why would you do that, that I got? But forget us, we are just sinners moving with sinners. But Jesus, y'all, says, okay to moving to the lowest, most forgotten, most unwanted places on planet Earth. Watch the king's degradation. Paul says, if none of these angles help you to see the magnitude and the depth of what Jesus did, He said, check this out, being born in the likeness of man, being born in the likeness of men, likeness in the very image of something. That's what it means. In the beginning of creation, God made man in his image, Genesis 1.26. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God made himself in man's image. And you ought to see how great the Father love is for you in the degradation of the king. But just when you think (laughs) Jesus couldn't get any lower, how low did he go? Not only did he downgrade by becoming a human, but he was humiliated. How? The king degradation, now the king's humiliation. If there's one game I hate, and I hate this with all of my heart, y'all. If there's one game I hate, it's the number limbo. I hate that game. It's the game where you have to have the players being backwards, and they have to go under the stick without touching it. I'm no good at that game. The goal of limbo is to successfully pass underneath the stick without letting it touch any part of your body. Half of us are already out in the room. Players cannot crouch, they cannot duck, they cannot crawl to pass under, meaning they have to bend backwards to get beneath the pole. The goal of the game is to see how low can you go. And it's not until you get to verse 8 of Philippians that you realize that Jesus is the limbo champ. Because Jesus went lower than anyone could ever go. Paul describes the limbo champ like this. In being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, I need to slow down here. You have got to catch this. You have got to lean in on this one. Paul's like, it's one thing to voluntarily downgrade yourself, but to then voluntarily humiliate yourself? Who does that? We humans hate to be humiliated. 
This is why we got filters all over Facebook. We hate to be humiliated. You really don't understand humiliation until you watch that Disney movie, Mulan. Yeah, oh, I love Mulan. Yes, Mulan. Mulan was a bad girl. She was a bad sister. She saved her entire people. But what I like to zoom in on is her father. Her father is willing to die before he will be humiliated. We learn from this that humans hate humiliation. And if we have the power to stop it, we do so. We are told that Jesus, the God-man, willingly allowed himself to be overtaken by death. The one who is the resurrection of life, like get this church, let your mind be blown by this. Let it blow up this Christmas. Let, let, let it be so profound to you that, that the one who is the resurrection of life humbled himself to death. The one who is the resurrection of life humbled himself to death. Oh, you didn't catch it. Let me say it again. The one who is the resurrected. This is, it's just, I'm not the only one that this, I'll preach to myself. The one who is the resurrection to life humbled himself to death. Stop preaching. Let's all go home. What a mighty God he is. I mean, let's just go home. That's enough right there. See, Jesus was over death, but he chose to get underneath death. How low can you go? That's the humility, people. But what really captured me as I wrestled with this text is this phrase, even death on a cross. Come on, Paul, preach to God's people this morning. Paul says, you want to know how low you can go? Paul says, you want to know what even, what's even more staggering? Is it was a death on a cross. Why should we be staggered by that? Why should, you, why should you hold on to your chairs this morning when you hear that phrase? Why should you grab the top of your head this morning when you hear that phrase, even death on a cross? Well, not only did he choose to become human and die, he chose to take the most humiliating death of the day. He would even go lower and die. Even more staggering, his death was not a noble death, but a horrible, ignoble death of a common criminal. One writer says, for the Jews, whoever was hanged on a tree was accursed of God. For Gentiles, death by crucifixion was the lowest most despicable form of death imaginable. Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion. That's how humiliating it was. The Roman poet once said, far be the very name of the cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the ears, the eyes of Roman citizens. We all want a noble death we all want to die in honor. And one of the sad things about the pandemic was those who died with no one on their side. And how our heart ached and how painful it was to know that loved ones would, would, would cross over to the other side, not having anyone there. We believe that people should have proper burials. We believe that people should have a noble death. We all would agree no one deserves to die like that. But Jesus, 
Jesus, y'all. The son of glory, the eternal, the all-wise, the everlasting, the one who has no beginning dies a criminal's death. Jesus paid all of our sins on the cross as the suffering servant. The supremely humbling moment was when Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us. He became sin, church. He became sin for you and I. Jesus did that. The Holy One, the blood and bulls and goats couldn't fix us. No, the law couldn't save us. And lawyers couldn't compose a case clever enough to acquit us from, from, from the curse of the law. So God sent Jesus. The highest became the lowest. He came down so you and I can go up. Yeah, you ought to praise him this morning for that. Without Jesus, we will remain down because he came, he came down so that we can go up. But I'm so glad, church, that that's not how the story ends for our Jesus. Because we were not the only ones that would go up. Where do we find Jesus' church? Remember our clue? Jesus says, the last shall be first. The slave should be the greatest. The lowest will be the highest. And because the highest became the lowest by his degradation and humiliation, it is only fitting that he experiences the highest exaltation. And here it is. Yeah, yeah, church, I'm almost done. I kept you too long. It's been real good preaching with y'all. I got one more point and I'm almost in my seat. Here's where we found the, the, the infinite who became an infant who is now triumphant. In the next part of the verse, the final analysis, we are reminded, although the Christmas trees and the wreaths and the ornaments are coming down, Jesus is staying up. That's right, church. Don't you put your praise away. Don't you put your faith away. Don't you put your fellowship away. Don't you put your worship away. Although Christmas is coming down, Jesus is still high and lifted up. Oh, the King degradation and humiliation but I got out my bed this morning I got up early Sunday morning after a Christmas day to come tell you not about his degradation or his humiliation I came to tell you about the king's exaltation oh we getting ready to worship in here this morning here it is what he says in the verse therefore therefore I love this part of the verse. I'm sorry, y'all. I may get happy in my spirit. Y'all don't mind me. Pay me no attention. Here it is. Therefore, God exalted him. Do you hear it, Chad? Here it is. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Oh, that'll preach all by itself. I don't even have to do much work up here. But in the Greek, it gets so good. The obedience of Christ and his spirit of humility did not go unrewarded by the Father. You better take note here. In the Greek, it kind of reads like the Father super exalted him. 
How did God super exalt him? God the Father said, okay, okay, son, I see what you did. You did a great job. You honored me. You saved the entire world. I'm proud of you, son. You did your work. Now it's time for your father to do his work. And how did the father work begin? It began with the resurrection. That's right. On the third day, he raised him from the dead, church. God said, son, I'm going to take you up. And the first way that I'm going to take you up, super exalt you, is that I'm going to raise you from the dead. You know that God is pleased with an individual when he raises him from the dead. By his power, he resurrected Jesus back from the dead with a glorified body that would never die. God said, because you came down, I'm going to raise you up. But God didn't just raise Jesus and put him back in servitude. Like he could have just raised him and put him back in servitude, but that's not what happens. Look at the verse, but whoever would be great, remember our clue, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. You see, it was time for him to be great. So God super exalted him, not just by resurrecting him, but by giving him the highest status, the highest place. Now, the dictionary defines status as the position of an individual in relationship to others. In other words, God put Jesus above everybody. God put Jesus above everybody. The Bible puts it like this, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name. That is name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. If that didn't make you shout. I brought another verse. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subject to him. If that didn't help you, I got another one for you. Acts. But he, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Maybe that didn't move you. I brought another one. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited more excellent than theirs. I got one more for you just in case that didn't get you. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Oh yeah. Oh yes, church. God said, welcome back, son. Welcome back. This spot is reserved for you. Jesus is boss in the game. He has the highest honor. But I said that God super exalted him. You thought that was something, but God wants to take it up one more notch. Not only did he give him status, y'all, but it says that he gave him the highest name. Come on now, Father God, do your thing. And it says, and gave him the name that is above 
every name. Oh, you ought to shout in this place. But before you do, let me teach it. The Greek word forgive means graciously given, gladly given. A glimpse into the joy of the Father is giving this name to Christ. What was the name? We might think that the name was Jesus, but he already had that name. That was given to him by Joseph in obedience to the word of the angel. What is it then? We can see by skipping ahead that that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Okay, now y'all with me this morning. The title that distinguished him above all is Lord. Kairos in the Greek, this was, this, this was the title used by citizens of Roman Empire to acknowledge the divinity of Caesar, the supremacy of Caesar. Right hand of the Father, his position, Lord, his title, Lord over everything. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. This is what he refers to when he said in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me. Jesus Christ is Lord, church. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's Lord of all. And I was going to close my laptop and I said, that's going to be enough. But, 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 but I had to give y'all the last thing because I did say that God super exalted him. The father acknowledges Jesus by giving him status and giving him name. But I, I came to tell y'all that you too have a part in exalting him. He says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, She'll bow. You, uh, you might as well just touch your knees because they're going to bow one day. In heaven, in on earth, and under the earth, in every tongue, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, there is coming a day when there will be a universal acknowledgement of the supremacy of the Son, from angels to demons to believers to unbelievers. And can you imagine that day, what it will be like? I love the song, Mercy Me. They wrote a song, Imagine the Day. Uh, I can only imagine that day when they'll stand before the exalted Christ. And friends, I too can only imagine what my eyes will see when, you, when your face is before me, I can only imagine. Yes, yeah, surrounded by your glory. Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine, church? Excuse me as I use my own exegetical imagination. I can see the angelic choir on that great day taking the choir stand. I can see the tenors getting in their sections and the altos getting in their section and the sopranos getting in their section and the angels saying to one another, what are we going to sing? And they said, let's sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let the angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Can you hear heaven rocking church? Can you hear the angels singing church? Can you hear 
Gabriel lifting up his voice. Can you hear Michael lifting up his voice? And Gabriel inquiring of Michael, Michael, why are we singing? And Michael telling Gabriel, Gabriel, it's time. And Gabriel saying, time for what? Time to give tribute to the one who turns darkness into light. And Gabriel said, well, if that's the case, let me go tell Abraham to start singing because it's time. And Abraham said, and Gabriel tell Abraham, it's time to sing. And Abraham says, why must I sing? And Gabriel says, because the one who turns impression into joy is now ruling and reigning. And Abraham says, if that be the case, let me go tell Moses, who's across on the other side of heaven, to start singing because it's time. And Moses says, time for what? And Abraham said, my promised seed is triumphant. And Moses said to Joshua, start singing because it's time. And Joshua said, time for what? And Moses says to worship the one who's greater than I. And word got to Joshua. And Joshua told Ruth to start it singing. It's time. And Ruth said, time for what? And Joshua said, the one who takes us into the promised land has been highly exalted. And Ruth said, well, let me go tell David. And David started saying, what are we singing for? And Ruth said, it's time. Time for what? Ruth said, our kinsman redeemer is Lord of all. And David said to Esther, start singing, Esther. And Esther said, why should I? David said, why should I start singing? And then David said, because the king of kings and the Lord of lords is lifted up on his throne. And Esther started rejoicing. And as Esther started rejoicing, she told Isaiah to start singing. And before he can say another word, Isaiah said, I heard it through the grapevine that the king of kings and the Lord of lords would hear that the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace has taken his rightful place as king. And y'all, I came this morning to tell you that you ought to start singing because your justification, your sanctification, your glorification, your mighty God, the one who created the universe. Theologian says that he has ex nihilo power. That is, out of nothing power. That he has the ability to speak things into existence. The one who took a downgrade and was humiliated is now exalted. And on this Christmas day, you ought to stand in your feet and you ought to exalt him this morning because he's worthy of all the plays and all the glory. Yes, he is. My Jesus is high and lifted up. There's no one like him, church. Oh, yes, Christmas may be over. The wreaths may be down. The lights may be down, but the light of the world is seated on the throne. Everything is going to be all right, church. Isn't it all right with you? Isn't he mighty? Isn't he worthy of all the worship, of all the glory, and of all the praise? I'll leave you on this note. So where do we find Jesus this day after Christmas? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Exalted, super exalted. But now that we have found Jesus, where do we find you on December 26th? Are you under his lordship? Have you bowed? Have you confessed that he's Lord? If you have, 
Christmas can be every day for you. But if you haven't, please don't go another Christmas without worshiping the one we all will worship, whether we like it or not. Look up, church. He's there, and he's coming.